Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated and surprising. I'm your host Steve Malk and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as software, photography, comedy, evangelist for Microsoft Australia. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans of Twitter list, Michael Kodahi. Monsieur Malk, hello. Oh, hello, Mikey. It's good to speak with you. Can you tell me to start with, Yeah. in social settings, how do you introduce yourself? How do I introduce myself? There are two kinds of social for me. There's my professional social mm-hmm. and there's my, uh, my personal social. Well, how does that then differ? <laughs> um, professionally, I, I'm, I'm an evangelist at Microsoft. So I'm a tech nerd guy who uh, loves to talk about technology and, um, and I get paid to do that and have fun doing that pretty much most of my days. Uh, privately, I am, uh, I don't know, how, do, how does that differ? That's a good question, man. I think privately, I'm more of a, of a dad and a boring person. <laughs> it's, it's, it's this weird dichotomy, actually. Like, I, as I've gotten more mature in my age, it, it's like this, like, like you read about a lot of comics who are, like, who are actually pretty introverted. Yeah. And like in their real life, they're, they're you know, they're, they're introverts and they're, and they're quiet and they're very observant and they're, you know, they're very, their opinions are kind of reserved. But then you kind of see them out in the world and they're big and they're loud and they're funny and they're hilarious and they're, um, and that's kind of this weird thing that I've come to learn about myself actually is how I have this like this dichotomy where privately I'm pretty like quiet and introverted. But if you ever met me, you would think this guy's full of energy and, you know, and an extrovert. A, a friend of mine described me as a, as a performing introvert and I think that's a perfect description. <laughs> where do you find that energy for someone who likes their own space and their own time when you're performing slash in public where do you get that energy from um i don't know it's weird you know like i i'm i'm an introvert who likes people <laughs> so, so it's a very confusing life it's 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 like <laughs> i love having people around and i love hanging out every time i think i've met you we've had like full energy good fun and i, I love being around humans and people and 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 i feed off that but I also get home and go, okay, that's enough. That's enough people. Um, so it's almost it's almost like a uh, a like a, it's all been squeezed into the external moments. Yep. And so the external moments have double the energy, double the double the the, the excitement in them, and then the private mm-hmm. moments are just you know, you know what I mean. It's not like I'm equal my whole life. It's actually when you see me, I am on full ball because it's all that pent up needing to be around people that's that's being let out of its cage a little bit. Um, so that, I think that's part of it. The other part of it is I just I do stuff that I love. It's not that hard to be full of energy when you're just when you're just you've always followed the the passions that you've had and and you know like talking tech is what I do for a living and talking tech what is what mm. I do if you ever met me and it's not hard to do that when you love it and you're passionate about it and you just you know there are days where your mind is blown by what's happening in the world of technology that that you can't contain it. So I think it's a genuine authentic passion for you know, the things I talk about that, that give me that energy as well. What are the things that you like to distract yourself with that aren't technology? Oh, uh, the things I love to distract myself. <laughs> I'm bad at all of them is the problem. So <laughs> I, uh, I had a bit of a transformational couple of years, uh, a couple of years back. 
and uh, and I went, I do too much just nerdy stuff. Like since I was a teenage boy, all I did was mm. tech, all I did was code, all I did was talk tech, all I did was code tech, all I did was associate myself with, you know, with fellow techie nerdy people. So a couple of years back, I went, that's got to kind of, there's got to be a balance in my in my life. And um, so I've taken up, uh, I, I doodle now. So I, I, I get up every morning and I, I force myself to um, to draw. It, mm-hmm. It's terrible. It's like it's it's not good. It's nothing I'd ever publish. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but I just love just getting up and going. I'm going to just draw a really ugly person today. <laughs> it starts off being I'm going to draw something cute, but it always turns out being really ugly. So like, but just that that therapy of just like doodling and and like I spend less time on the TV and more time like on pen and pad or with my computer with my my stylus and stuff. And I guess the other thing that uh, you know that keeps me entertained outside of that is, is, and this is, I'm even worse at this than I am at, um, at, uh, at doodling. And that is, I, <laughs> I describe it as, as, uh, like when I was 20, I, um, I bought a, I bought a guitar, an acoustic guitar. Yep. And I went, I bought a guitar, man. I'm going to learn to play the guitar. And it turns out you need to practice and dis- <laughs> discipline and learn to be okay at the guitar. So I never actually played that guitar because I don't have that discipline side of me as w- going on as well. So when I was 30, I went, you know what my problem was? It was like a steel strung guitar. I need to get myself a, like a nylon strung acoustic situation. And so yeah. I bought one of those. And uh, yeah, it turns out you still need to practice and discipline and, <laughs> and put hard work in. <laughs> so, I, so I turned 40 and I bought a ukulele. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I, I'm now playing that more than I played any of my other instruments that I didn't really play. So, so I spend a lot of my time at home just, just mucking around with my uke and, and making riffs that don't make any sense but make me happy and disconnect me from the overly active mind that I have. So that's my things, I think. And that, my kids and just family stuff, really. Yeah. Music and drawing and stuff, they're, they're, but they're great, um, like, left brain activities that that are easy disconnects to your right brain life. Yeah, yeah, they are. They are, they're like, they're, they're, like, I haven't had that balance forever, but it's always been inside of me. I think, like, you know, you've met me as, like, a, a guy who does a lot of public speaking, for example, and, mm. and I'm kind of okay at it, And, and but the reason why I love that and I'm good at it is because I actually have always had that left brain in me. I've always had that 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 drive to actually create things that never existed, ideas that never existed. Um, but it was always centered around science and engineering and, and computers. And and I think it only took me, a, you know, till a couple of years ago to go, actually, that's a very underworked part of my brain that is busting to get out. Great. That is great. Where do you find your peace, Michael? Uh, where do I find my peace? Um... I don't know. I'm still. I'm still looking for it. I. I don't think I have mm-hmm. peace. I don't think there is such a thing as. Um, I don't think there's such a thing as as being in a place of serenity, if you're wired the way that I'm. I'm wired. So I've kind mm-hmm. of reserved myself to, kind of understanding and accepting that. So I don't know, like a couple of years back, I got into um, into stoicism. Mm-hmm. So I've never been a particularly religious guy. I was when I was younger, but. Uh, the older I got, the less um, the less uh, a man of faith I was, and um, and I tried to get into Buddhism and just trying to get into like peacefulness and restfulness and mindfulness and and it kind of didn't work for me. Uh, like the, my brain's just too hyperactive, and I it, it's not something I, I resonated with. But started reading up on um, on stoicism, 
which is, I don't know if you know much about Stoicism, it's a it's an ancient Greek philosophy and it, you know, it was around in the days where philosophy was a thing you did in a way you lived your life rather than a you know a subject at uni. And one of the things the Stoics talk about is 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 meditating all the time. The meditation is not a thing that's reserved. And and it's weird that like I've always been seeking like a peacefulness, a restfulness in my in myself and in my mind. Yeah. And it never really happened. But now that because I always just would get not distracted is not the word for it, constantly thinking about how to solve things and um and when I got into Stoicism, the idea of like meditation is a thing you should do all the time and that you should always go and you know i just had a coffee with a with with a friend of mine who i've known for for about a year or so now and walking back from coffee i meditate on what that coffee was about and what that interaction was about and did i live up to the virtues that i had and uh, you know did i conduct myself in the way that i wanted to to conduct myself and um so it turns out i don't have peace but i have purposeful thinking that gives me a sense of weird peace if that makes sense yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, I don't know. I tried it, man. I tried to sit on a beach and just like chill and just like enjoy the sun and which I can do until, you know, the the, the clouds start to shape like things and I start to wonder, are they going to move at what velocity are they moving at and <laughs> what will they form like? And I project out what the cloud formation is going to look like, you know, 20 minutes from now, an hour from now. Mm-hmm. And then I'd start pulling out my pencils and I'd start drawing what I believe the cloud formation is going to look like. And, oh, yeah, look, I'm not meditating. I'm not being peaceful. I'm actually being active. <laughs> so I think I've accepted that's that's kind of the engineering brain that I was I was, you know, given. What was school like for you? Um, what was school like? Um, it's funny. Well, I was talking about this with actually with a, with, a, with a friend of mine and my brother the other day who I went to school with. And uh, mm-hmm. school was it, – it seems that everybody who goes through school either loving primary or hating secondary or hating primary and loving secondary. Um, mm-hmm. School for me was very neutral. School for me was – like uh, it's very uneventful. I had my my clique of friends. Um, at that time, being a gamer, which is what I was, I was making games. I was loving games. wasn't the you know the most popular thing in the world. So my circle of friends wasn't particularly large. <laughs> Not now, you know. Like now, everyone's playing their you know whatever whatever games they're into. Uh, but for me, it was like I, th- I think school taught me to be more of a chameleon. Taught me to to um, to, to learn to live with the humans and to you know, to, 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 to act like I, I belong and I fit in. So it gave me that kind of fundamental skill. So you think if you talk to most of my schoolmates, you know, Michael was a nice guy and we hung out and he was, you know, mm. good guy. But they wouldn't, you know, there'd be no real standouts about it. Um, so I think school was a very good time of actually looking back on it and going, yeah, you know what, it, it honed my skills of like learning to fit in with the people until I realized I, I'm more comfortable not necessarily being, you know, a human like the rest of us kind of thing and being in my own head. So school more than anything was, you know, gave me the skill of the skill of chameleonship, I guess. Um, but yeah, I don't know, largely uneventful. I wish it was more, you know, more exciting than that. I School was school. It's a weird thing, isn't it, with school that we are, you know, we, we sit down in classes, we learn a whole bunch of different things that are to help prepare us for, uni or for life or professional things or whatever, very rarely do we get the same level of attention to our social game. Uh, we're oh, just yeah. kind of plonked in with a group of kids and told, work it out. Yeah. Yeah. And then the older you get in school, the more, you know, academic 
is important and the less who you are as a person is. And uh, yeah, it's like I, I, I um, in fact, one of my one of my daughters, she uh, she was in um, she was about to start. She went to a Steiner school. I don't know how much you know about the Steiner education system, but um, they do a thing called little kindy, big kindy, and then um, and then first class. So they have two kindergartens. Um, so she started in um, in little kindy, and often you'll just jump straight to first class. And my daughter's a pretty smart cookie. Like you would put her on the academic scale pretty high. And uh, they suggested, you know what, she uh, she she be held back and she actually do another year of kindy. And I'm like, what are you talking about, fool? Like my kid is the <laughs> smartest cookie in the thing, and she's academically really bright. And they said, look, she's academically really bright. Like she's she's a smart kid, but we're finding that she's not fitting in socially. She's not got the skills to like yeah. interact with other kids, and she's actually the younger of the group. So she's mm-hmm. you know she's struggling to her social side. So they suggested, you know, for a couple of months, actually put her in kindy again, but this time she'll be one of the oldest and she'll have a confidence about her. And and it was one of the best things like I ever did because she like had the confidence and started to realize who she was and what she gives and um, yep. and, and that side of it. And I, like I have a big respect for that, that, that schooling system as a result of that. Um, not so much anymore, but that's another story. But uh, um, because like... It's one of the rare places. Montessori, I think, is kind of similar, where like they actually have a holistic view of, of kids, and like, and most schools, it's it's you know how they rank and what are they doing on their ATAR and did they you know the standardized testing where do they show and mm. very little of it is centered around the whole person and the whole child and the whole you know which I think is up to the parents more than anything. So, uh, but yeah, it's kind of a thing that I feel is is unfortunately kind of absent. And unless you're focusing on it as a, as a parent, that, that your kid has a lot to offer. I do this. Yeah. I do this. Um, one of my favorite moments actually at work was um, about geez. About a year, less than a year into my job, so you know, I do a lot of public speaking for for a living. And a, less than a year into my job, I was asked to speak to um, to a bunch of students. I went, yeah, no problem. I could speak to a bunch of students. That sounds like a yeah. lot of fun. Um, and I did it with, uh, I think you know, Andy Coates, yeah. Yep. So he got up and and he was going to do a bit, and I got up and I was going to do a bit, and I was going to get up and talk about technology and how awesome all this Microsoft tech is. Da 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 da. And he got up and started talking about like careers and his two degrees and you know his uh, immaculate like academic you know prowess and mm-hmm. I'm like oh crap this is not about like how awesome technology is so like on the fly I went what am I going to say so I told my story which is the exact opposite of Andrew's and so we had this like there was maybe like forty or fifty kids all you know mm-hmm. year tens and elevens and. Um, and I got up and I went, well, I kind of got a TER of zero. So I literally left school without a, without an ability to get any tertiary education. TAFE wouldn't take me. Um, and I, I spent a year pretty depressed at home and didn't have any real place I wanted to go or place that anyone would take me. And, mm-hmm. and you see all these kids kind of light up and they go, oh, I, I recognize that story. Do you know what I mean? Half the crowd recognizes yeah. Andrew's like academic and and the other crowd recognized my story and they went, oh, I'm as dumb as that guy. I'm not getting the marks. I'm not being recognized <laughs> for my skills. And, <laughs> um, and I go on to talk about like how passion is probably the most important skill. If you, if you found the thing that you are passionate about, you are in the privileged few. Like I, yeah. I was lucky enough that technology was a thing that, that I effectively had no choice but to do. 
I, I had to learn to code. I had to learn to make games. I had to learn to figure out how to put a computer together because it's just the thing that was in me that I was so driven to do. Now, you know, we call that passion. And I, I realized then that I was so lucky to have had a passion in the first place and even luckier that that passion aligned to something that, you know, was a commercially viable thing that I could build a career out of as well. And I, I tell all these kids, like, don't underestimate finding the things that you love and pursuing them as far more important than getting good marks in history and yeah. geography and all that kind of stuff. Um, mm. Both are important virtues, right? Neither is wrong. But but for me, it was entirely how, like, the thing I was driven to do was the only thing I knew how to do. Yeah. And that led to a successful career. That led to a bunch of happiness. That led to a purpose in my life and, you know, people I'm surrounded by that are awesome and amazing because I followed the things and continue to follow the things that – that I feel like I've got no choice but to do. Yeah. And, you know, I wish they could somehow teach that and distill that into less rambling and more of a, you know, something that the kids can kind of understand a bit more. Yeah, structured education for the masses is a hard thing sometimes. Yeah, totally agree, man. What has been the most significant technological change that you've seen in your professional life? The most significant technological change that I, oh man, you can't, I, I, geez. Um, I think we're seeing it actually. I think uh, yeah. like AI is, is, is oh, that's a big question, Mr. Malk. Um, mm-hmm. I, I can tell you the things in my personal life that are just changing the way I do things. Uh, and then I could tell you the things that I think just like are blowing my mind as to what the world is shaping like. And, and AI is definitely one of them, like machine yeah. learning and, and our, the, 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 the way with which we are mining data and the way with which we are making sense of data is, is so extremely scary, but, yeah. but amazing at the same time. Like the, the the like knowing that that we'll be able to tell you things about yourself almost before you've done them because we've profiled enough of your characteristics to know that it's likely to happen is, yeah. is scary as all hell, right? Um, you know, you think about the human brain, and we right now we you know we we, we can view the brain at a pretty pretty basic level, right? Like you know we can tell what all the major parts of the brain do. We understand. Uh, what parts are responsible for executive function, and like we can get what your brain basically does, and and yeah. um, and actually identify that there are there are particular people with heightened senses in their brain, and therefore have more logical right brain, left brain is a good example, um, and they're wired to us to certain you know characteristics like being more creative or more or more rational. But what happens when we can go down to like street view on your brain, right? What happens when we can entirely map every little nook and cranny of the way your brain is wired and the way all your synapses are firing and, and can tell at very detailed level the way you are operating and then do that to everyone on the planet? Will there be patterns where we can identify, I don't know, people with a propensity to, to commit crime, people with, with higher intellect that's, un, that's untapped? Uh, and if we could do that and go, you know what, everybody who's got a propensity to commit a murder seems to have this characteristic in their brain. You're just minority reporting us. Uh, but, but without the spiritual stuff, right? Without the, like, the precogs were like, we sense it. And, yeah, yeah, we see the future rather right? than and we this is this is know. this is we know the future like it, almost a fact. We know that everybody with these properties will do blah. Like we're getting there, man, and like and that's a scary well, proposition. Where does, where does the the concept of 
uh, human will and choice come into that, though? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, the science the science, science will tell you that we might not have as much will and choice because we were, we were selected. We've been selecting ever since we were born. You know, I, I got... I, I got yeah, like that's a really interesting one, right? Like, like mm. you, 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 pre- you don't predetermine your outcomes, but you look at the people you surround yourself with, the, the choices you make in life, yeah. they're all stemmed from like predisposition, right? So the nurture versus nature thing, yep. it's, it's, it's a combination of both, but the nurture bit comes because there's a seed in your nature and that you, you seek things that fulfill a bias, for example. So, yeah, the environment around you influences who you are and what you do, but I don't rule out the fact that you create the world around you. I've done it in the last couple of years of my life, right? I've created a world around me that 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 resembles more where I want to be. So it's not just happenstance that, you know, I've got great people in my life and magically I just met them and I've got good people in my life. Mm. No, it's actually a mental shift that I've had over the last couple of years of my life who've gone... I'm actually craving that kind of environment. And guess what? Yep. You know, the environment provided and call it, a, you know, something divine that provided or call it, you know, the, the secret or the power of positive thinking or whatever it is. But the, our environment around us comes from a place of will that, that, that is baked into us, mm. you know, and if you want to trace all that back, you might have just been born with it and you have created a world around you that, that, that fulfills, you know, predisposition that you have. So data is a big one, man. Like under, like where that will take us is really, really, really interesting to me. Mm. Um, the other one, the more immediate one, is actually um, is, is is seeing how voice has has taken a first. Like I play this, I play this design challenge um, a lot, yeah. particularly with younger people. Um, like Im- imagine a world where where there's no phone, where we literally just went, you know, your mobile phone, your iPhone that you have to carry around with you every day of the week, and you you can't live without. Could you live without it? Does it doesn't need to really be there? My brain is exploding at this point. <laughs> yeah. Simply because on one hand that sounds like utopia, and on the other hand, part of my body has just been cut off. <laughs> well, that's but that's I don't think that's the case, right? Like the if so the thought experiment of you know if we no longer had the ability the miracle that is the internet and mm. and everything in the universe available to us you know in our pocket that doesn't have to go away but we have taken if you think about the logicness the logicness the logicality of of we had computing power and now you know we miniaturized it and now we've got it in our pockets and now we have you know smaller screens bigger batteries da 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 and we can interact in a way that's basically a computer in our pocket who says that a computer in our pocket is the answer to the question right it it makes for really bad design just to get something that already exists combine it all together and miniaturize it right just so happens it's an amazing part of life right but what was the know, question in the first place yeah right we've just gone steve jobs told us it's it's important so let's go do it <laughs> and and but i i run that thought experiment and like for me recently i bought a uh, an amazon echo which is like the best 250 dollars i've spent in a very very long time i don't know if you've played with the echo but it's so, no, what so is it? good it's amazon's um it's a speaker that basically sits in your lounge room. It's got an, uh, an array of microphones on it that listen out for you. And yep. you, it's like Siri, but, 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 but good, like Siri, but the, it's, it's, it's permanently in your house and it hears you from every corner of the room because there's an array of microphones. 
and you can ask questions. You say, Alexa, what time is it? It'll answer the, you know, answer with the time. Alexa, is it going to rain today? Alexa, who was in Fight Club? Alexa, can you switch on my lights? Alexa, can you switch off my lights? Um, Alexa, who won in the State of Origin yesterday? It doesn't do Aussie sports. That's a bad example. Um, I was at the State wow. of Origin yesterday. Wow. Uh, that's a wow moment. And, uh, <laughs> and, but like, so now I find I get home, I barely touch my phone. And I start talking to the air and, and things happen. So my lights, I literally get home and I say, Alexa, turn on my lights. And my lights go on. I, I haven't touched the light switch in like three months. Uh, oh, I, I need to set a timer for, you know, for the oven or something. Alexa, set a timer for 20 minutes. Um, yep. About to go to bed. Alexa, what's the weather going to be like tomorrow? And uh, can you set an alarm for 6 o'clock? Oh, look, I need my jacket because it's going to be cold tomorrow. Cool, no worries. So my, my phone necessity in my house is slowly disappearing. I get in my car, and what's the first thing we do is we try to hide the phone, right? We, we, we get Bluetooth, and we, we get nav and voice nav and blah, 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 blah. Ultimately, a phone does not belong in a car. Like immense computing power and geodata definitely belongs in a car. But having a phone is really, really not that necessary in a car. So why are we trying to make them car friendly? Why aren't we making cars more human friendly? So I think that's a really interesting, like a really interesting thought experiment is just going like now that we have voice recognition at a point where you can naturally interact yeah. and, and can talk back in a way that's pretty natural, like we're starting to move away from the need for a, you know, for a device in our pocket that we can tap on. You know, we went and miniaturized the keyboard for God's sake. Really? We took something that was kind of designed for us to, pe- to use all our fingers on and, and now we're going to peck away at it. Like it works, but I'm not entirely sure. It's like it's the answer. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Isn't the move to driverless cars making cars more human friendly? Um, isn't the move to driverless cars making cars more human friendly? Oh man, uh, I don't know. That, that driverless cars are not one's another really interesting one, right? Like, who says that mm. cars that like got us around on four wheels and so you know made us gave us what it's given us in the last you know 120 years of of humanity who says that we need to turn that into a driverless thing who says that that we need to now figure out how it can be human because it needs to read signs and read the cliff edge and read other cars and we're turning cars into things that can do what humans do and i'm not sure that's necessarily the smartest says the guy who hasn't built you know any of those things but but you know, like 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 trains work. Why are we Why aren't we putting you know, like the I when I was like ten, and I swear I should figure out how to how to like get, get some compensation for this. When I was ten, I wanted to build an underground tube system from my house to my best friend's house and to my school. I wanted to be able to get into my backyard, go into this capsule, and have it just shoot me underground to 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 school or shoot me underground yeah. to my mate's place. And then Futurama comes out and they've got an above ground version of it. And then um, Elon Musk goes and creates the hyperloop and I'm like dudes this is mine I, I I made this right but like why 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 aren't we going down that route why are we so impressed that a computer can drive why why are we not thinking of alternatives and I think we are um, thinking of alternatives to getting people around because mm. do you know what I mean like it seems we're starting yeah. by like collecting a bunch of vision technology and and going, let's go make driverless cars. And, and like the interesting thought experiment actually with driverless cars is, uh, is I don't know where I heard it, but it's, it's, it's certainly not mine, is, um, is the human element of the driverless car. And, and what if you did, what if you had, you know, a car, two driverless cars hurtling towards each other 
and one has to swerve away from the other one to not kill the other person. How does it? Oh, and the, how does the, the one that swerves make... is going to go into a ditch and quite possibly kill the occupant. Yep. Or there's a kid on the road and it could swerve away from the kid and save the kid, but it's going to swerve you into a tree. What does it do? Look, at that point, I would think that the tree's digital anyhow, so. <laughs> That's true as well. <laughs> um, uh, well, actually, we'll get back to that in a second. But like, like the, <laughs> the, but like for humans, I think we have like an instinct in us maybe that says the kid might die because I'm going to self-preserve. I don't, I don't know. I've mm-hmm. not been faced with that. But do we program an algorithm into it that says, you know, net worth of person on road is higher than net worth of person in car? You know, contribution experience points in life is higher for the person on the on the on the thing, so we spare their life. Like how does how does how does a car, how does a computer, how does an AI make that decision if it had to? So that that yeah. that I think it releases a whole releases a whole bunch of like philosophical, ethical kind of questions around the human things that we do that I'm not I don't know how we program them in. Um, which which is kind yeah. of, which is kind of cool and interesting to cool I guess now until like forty years from now where that decision has to be made. Uh, but I was talking about time travel with a mate, and we're like, like we've designed we're like we're thinking about time travel all wrong. Like like all the movies talk about solving the problem of time travel and getting back through time, and you know all you need is a flux mm-hmm. capacitor and one point twenty one gigawatts of power, and mm-hmm. and like why aren't we why aren't we pursuing the idea that time travel is a data problem? That in fact we might in fact be heads in a jar, and that traveling through time is actually just going back through the archives. Like, how can we not like? How can we not like? You know, going through the matrix code and just like and going back onto the archival data. Why are we trying to trying to bend time when we really should be trying to bend data? Well, the amount of footage, like video footage, that's being captured now and uploaded to YouTube, or you know, by the time you add in the the squintillion. Uh, traffic cameras and, and security cameras and CCTV and all of that sort of stuff that's being captured and preserved, it almost opens that up for the that virtual reality, you know, for someone in a couple of years' time to come back virtually yeah. into oh, a space have you, have you seen that? and see an experience. Have you seen... Sorry? Um, did you ever watch Black Mirror, the series? Yes. The, well, I think, yeah, I loved it. I think the new... The new um, the new season of it, uh, there was an episode where a, a woman who's um, – I'm about to ruin it for everyone, so either fast forward or just hate me later. Uh, the new yeah. – the, the, um, this woman's husband dies. And as she's mourning the, the, the death of her husband, she's um, – a friend of hers says, look, there's this service that could, that could help you. Yes. And she's like – do you know this episode? Yeah, yeah, uh, keep talking. Uh, and, uh, and, and so she's – so – we can help you. And she's like, all right, well, I am pretty sad. My husband's gone, so I'm, I'm going to go to this service. And this service builds a chatbot based on the data that it has and the knowledge that it has around her husband. So she uploads his mm. Facebook accounts and all his tweets and everything else, and um, and then it figures out his tone and starts to um, – and starts to, to, to chat with her. So she starts chatting with her husband and she's like typing away and she's getting this sense of the fact that he's, you know, might still, like the, the feeling that he's still around uh, because like she's chatting with him on the, on the chatbot. And, and then she realizes there's a couple of upgrade options. Um, so she uploads all these you know, video stuff and all their home videos and then they build a video version of him and an audio version of him. So she gets on the phone and starts talking to him throughout her day and now she's like, 
she's not you know letting go of him, but she's actually talking to an audio version of him. And uh, in fact, I won't ruin the end, but it keeps escalating, like in being able once you mine all this data about us, like what is it? Like yeah. you know, recreating who we are is a really interesting problem, and like it, it doesn't each like we're at the beginnings of that in a weird way, right? If you look at um, if you look at Facebook, is a really good example of that. Facebook is, you know, the graveyard on Facebook is massive, like the amount of people that die and that still have a Facebook presence and that we still connect to in a weird way because we still see them on Facebook and and people mourn in different ways. So like I got a friend who died about. Ten no, six years ago, and his mum mm-hmm. still operates his Facebook account, Ooh. and she posts photos of him. And not this, not I mean, she's not pretending she's him, but no, no, no. But she posts photos of him, and she's still till this day mourning him, and keeping his presence alive in a weird way, saying, you know, it's the anniversary of his death. Here's a photo of him when he was five. I'm yeah. like, oh man, this is a weird kind of. Like we used to just go there buried and they're a memory and we're, we're, we're mourning in that way. But now we have this kind of weird weird attachment thing that we can still hang on to and I don't know, it's creepy, eh? Yeah, I'm not sure it's overly healthy. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just like, just wait for the afterlife, man. Like <laughs> there's benefits in moving on and, and when when people pass, to acknowledge their passing and to celebrate their life and... I guess maybe maybe I'm being overly reflective in my humanity, but acknowledging that this person's time in the physical realm has ended and I can no longer have a relationship with them. And I, I understand people's desire to hang in and, and to want to, you know, relive the memories of that relationship. I'm not sure that helps that person that's still alive continue in a positive fashion in their life thinking that they can maintain a relationship with a person who isn't in it anymore. Yeah, because there's a there's a there's a big element of truth in death, right? And mm. and if you're if you're the things you learn from loved ones dying is 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 important and profound and if you're not you know getting that to its fullest extent, that's that's an interesting one to think about. It certainly is. Michael, what are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? Um, oh, man, that's another one of those conversations I was actually having today. That's, that's not to sound like a cliche. And I was actually, I was in the shower. I have whiteboard, whiteboard markers that I have in the shower. So they're waterproof markers. And I actually draw on my shower screen all the time. Yeah. And I was, um, and you're going to judge me really weirdly, but I, I often present to myself in the shower. So I like I have topics that I'm like I'm, I'm, that are, that are percolating, and then sure. when I get in the shower, it's, you know, it's those moments of just like minimal distraction, water running over your head, and you're just like you're you're only just present in yourself. They're the moments where I go, I'm going to form these thoughts into something that 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 makes a bit of sense. So I'll often actually not out loud, but I like I'll often like force myself to present a few minutes on a subject I'm thinking about. Like it's it's bizarre, and in fact, my my partner's walked in occasionally and she's seen me like with my hands in the air just talking out loud, like not not vocalizing, <laughs> but like but like I'm I'm a hand guy when I when I present, and like she's seen me in the shower, like just move my hands around and like she goes, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "Oh, I'm just talking to myself." Um, but one of those things I was doing this morning is like. Like, like um, my trajectory in life and how we were talking earlier about, you know, how 
academically I wasn't there and I followed my passions and and all of that. And I was like, if I was going to map out what my life has been like and how my trajectories looked, you know, I had this like this visual staircase that mm. often people have this this goal and they have this like, I'm going to be there in 10 years. And then you just draw these steps leading up to the there bit. And each one of those steps has a, a an achievement. You know, I'm going to get promoted or I'm going to go and achieve this or I'm going to go and learn that. And, and they have all these steps that they can look back upon and go, these are all the steps that I took in order to achieve the thing that's at the top of the staircase, which mm. is entirely not me. And and then I, I started to draw me and it was just a bunch of lines that made no sense. It was nowhere near as structured as a staircase uh, because I think I don't plan out. It's a very long answer to your question, by the way, but like I don't plan out that far. I don't go, what's my next year going to look like and what will I have achieved in a year? Like yeah. my my sense of, of of satisfaction comes from am I still doing things that challenge me? Am I still doing things that I am learning from? Am I still surrounded by people who change me every day for the better in ways that align to my virtues. If that's the answer, then that's where I'm going. Where that ends, I, I have no idea. Dude. Wow. That's pretty intense, Michael. Oh, it, it is a little bit. Uh, I'm not sure whether these things are supposed to be <laughs> deep philosophical or like funny, funny jackass, but uh, it is. You know, you get to that age, don't you? You get to... You get yep. to I, I have, I've hit 42. And I'm on the I'm on the other half of this thing, man. And, uh, yep. and there's there's no time to waste on pointless exercises for me. And, and mentally, it's got to be going. It's got to be going somewhere that involves improvement for me. So yeah, um, yeah it is a bit intense. That. But you know, I don't know. I don't know how intense it is. It's kind of it's kind of it's kind of the truth, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I I totally understand that. I I. I'm on the wrong side of forty as well. So I appreciate <laughs> where you coming from. The right side of forty, man. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Oh, my mom, my mom, who I have very rarely agreed with in my life on any subject, um, did say something that like that actually rung pretty true to me. As I did turn forty, she um, she said, um, and you might have guessed, she's over forty. She uh, she said uh, she said uh, you will be doing everything that you have done before with an entirely new appreciation for it. And she couldn't have been more wow. right. She couldn't have been more right, man. I like, like I travel a lot and I travel mm. a lot for work, uh, which means I, I don't pay for a lot of my travel. And I've traveled a lot before I was 40, particularly for work. And now I, I find myself in San Francisco for a conference. It's an entirely different experience for me. I like, I yep. do it with a, with a, with a, with a, with a gratitude that I never, ever knew to understand up until now. Yep. So like I'm living this like everything that I did before. Like nothing's new really that new to me, right? Like I'm not experiencing things that I've never experienced before fundamentally. But man, it's good to experience it in a way that 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 I can truly be grateful for and truly appreciate. So over forty all the way, man. But still act like yeah. you're twenty is my goal. Hey Michael. Hey Stephen. Thank you so much for uh, for the conversation today. Please know the things that you said are very special and you're highly valued. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Stephen. I appreciate it. I've enjoyed having a good old chat with you. Now, very clearly you are a tweeting kind of person. Are there other social accounts that you would want people to know about? Any other social accounts I want people to know about? Um, it's weird. A year ago, two years, five years ago, I would have rattled off all my things. Uh, mm. I, 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 no, uh, I'm on Facebook more than anything these days. 
Um, mm. So if you want to find me on Facebook, I'm pretty public there about the things I'm on. So find me on Facebook. I'll happily, most likely friend you. Uh, but no, uh, Google me if you find me and you want to talk about stuff that you find and that'll be fun to do as well. Excellent. This has been Humans of Twitter and I can confirm that at Delicate Genius, that's D-E-L-I-C-8, Genius, is indeed human.